He's James Collins. He is Alec Cranston. And this is the Matter of Facts Podcast. The Matter of Facts Podcast brings you the unsung heroes, the unsung stories, news and happenings from across our wonderful city that you maybe thought happened but didn't quite know the truth behind. And get you all in the loop on what's going on, what's to come, and what can we be prepared for. Welcome to Matter of Facts. I am one of your hosts, Alec Cranston, here with my esteemed colleague via Zoom, Teams, Google Meet, whatever it may be, Mr. James Collins. Yeah, I am remote today. It's good to be back, Alec. It has been a long time, and it feels like a long time as well. It literally feels like months. Oh, I think it has been months. It's been a while. I feel like summer's kind of flown by, and then and time at the podcast studio has as well, so... Super excited to get back on here with you, and uh, we got a great guest today, um, and we're really hoping to drive some some good, solid, better content uh, coming up for everybody, for all of our long-time, one-year fans, and hopefully bring on some new fans and supporters of the podcast. Millions, millions of them. We actually have shaken <laughs> things up here, at matter of fact, quite significantly. We're in a new studio. Uh, we're taking a fresh approach to things. Uh, it sounds like Alec Cranston, actually, he he left us. He moved on due to creative differences. It's um, the lovely, <laughs> the Sports Illustrated model, the lovely Kate Upton is my new co-host, but using <laughs> amazing AI voice-changing technology. She sounds just like Alec mm. used to. Isn't that right, Kate? That is correct. And, you know, we're going to change things up a little bit in terms of our structure of the podcast. And, you know, we want to make sure that it's something that you guys want to listen to and you can get it in in a good time frame and we don't bore you. That's why we've rambled for four minutes. Uh, <laughs> boom. There we go. We're just eating our own words there. But we're going to stick with a fan favorite. Um, we think it's a fan favorite. It's definitely our favorite. The insane part of our podcast, which is called Insane as the, the crane. crane. Insane as the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Kind of insane like the Crane. Well, there was insane only one option crane. for Insane as the Crane this Absolutely. month, and it's essentially HRM's transition into a post-apocalyptic world. Absolutely. A lot has happened since Alec and I last got around the podcast mics. Yeah. We had our, an, an awful things too. To be clear, we are not making light of the situation. Um, it truly is insane, and, and if anything... Among all of the tragedy, we have seen the community come together, but we have had fires, floods, extreme heat, uh, many hundreds of, of displaced people, many hundreds of people who've lost uh, homes, people who've lost animals, thousands of folks whose lives have been turned upside down. Alec and I, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Alec, I know you have just moved into your first house. We were okay. We got yep. out twice because of the fires, but as a preemptive thing, um, you were good, right? Yeah, thankfully, we live out uh, on the cusp of Dartmouth and Coal Harbor. I call it Dartmouth. She calls it Coal Harbor. So we'll we'll say Coal Harbor. No no effects with the wildfires, thankfully. Uh, and then with the flooding as well, we we still got heavy rain, but we were one of the areas where it was not as much. I think it was 110 millimeters. Um, I convinced Jenna one day that it was liters. She was on the phone with somebody, and they were like, oh, how much rain did you, get, you guys get? And then she was like, it was 300 and... 50 was the biggest 350 what alec and i go leader she goes 350 liters <laughs> her friend was you like actually <laughs> measured it you were there with your measuring cup from the kitchen that's yeah a noble effort, that's my but... side hustle um but yes no we weren't <laughs> affected and uh but terrible uh things that happened because of it and yeah. uh you know we have we, we'll get to it when our guest comes on that we'll be able to speak a lot to you know the preparing for st stuff like that and how to react and whatnot but 
uh, yeah, just it's been a, it's a whirlwind right now in Nova Scotia. Kind of at a point now where you see rain on the forecast and you just you assume it's going to be a torrential downpour. You don't you don't assume a little drizzle anymore. It's been the wettest summer, hasn't it? And you know, I so I've been here 13 years as of yesterday in in Canada. And when I arrived, Hurricane Earl came. I I, I arrived in August. That came in I think October, and everyone was saying it's this hurricane. We haven't had one for three or four years. Uh, then we didn't have anything for two years. We've had something bad now the last three or four. Throw in extreme temp- extreme weather in the summer. Well, we had we've had some crazy winters, but now to have the fires, then to have the floods, and to have extreme heat, something's changing. Yeah. This is a question for our guest. While he's not an environmentalist, and we're teasing our viewers as to who <laughs> our guest is, but whereas it's not, you know, he's an environmentalist, I'm sure he'll have some opinions as an expert uh, in terms of what he's seeing with the increase in both man-made and, and natural disasters. Yeah. But I'm, I've never been the kind of person that would wake up at 4 a.m. and and go on an invite, you know, an environmental protest. Uh, not a a uh, very active activist for things like that. But I am really scared now. I'm very much starting to acknowledge, accept, and be concerned for the future of HRM. We are an exposed yeah. province. Um, we have lots of people that are landlocked. We have plenty of water, which is both a good and a bad thing. And yeah. um, maybe maybe we'll leave this for our guest. Yeah, he's going to have quite an insight on all of this. Um, and for a bit more of a tease, he actually did fly in from out of province to do this interview in person. Um, and I know this is kind of ironic because now you're doing it via Google Meet. But initially we said, hey, we can do this recording from anywhere if you'd like. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to be there in person to meet you guys and to you know talk about this in person. So we're very excited. Just to be clear for our listeners as well, when we, when we bring guests in from out of province, obviously there's an expense. They have to fly. They have to get hotels. So just to clear up anything, um, Jeff, we'll do the first name. When Jeff came in today, just to let you know that his expenses were not covered by us yeah. and he was fully expected to do it on his own dime. Yeah. Because we're cheap. We are very cheap. I think uh, we supplied a, or the studio supplied a can of bubbly um, sparkling water, which was which was nice. So that's that's his perk for coming. He gets some sparkling water. And, and do declare that to CRA because it's probably a tax, knowing, knowing the new federal oh. rules, it's probably <laughs> a tax deductible ex, uh, income. Oh, absolutely. We are talking insane things and we want to acknowledge the fact that we've had some um, horrendous natural disasters here yeah um whether whether the the rain saturated the ground and caused it to flood or whether it was so hot that we then had forest fires and uh it's it's been awful we had rain after the fires that helped we had a dry period after the floods that helped it just seems like we're at opposite ends of a of a kind of big cyclical curve here but uh, i hope everyone is well and i know i say that fully aware many people aren't yeah i won't say too much more on that and hmm. hopefully people are getting the support they need. But um, yeah. whether or not the, the financial aid is there as quickly as it should be, the community's really come together throughout all of this. And and even though I wasn't affected, never have I felt more a part of the community than this. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should just jump right to Reddit. Reddit Roundup. Haligonians losing their minds over minor inconveniences. There is so much we could have talked about in this month's episode when it came to Reddit. It has been the community hub for organizing aid. Uh, it's also been the community hub for some light relief. And we're actually mixing the two together for this month's Reddit roundup because I do believe that we can find good entertaining things when the community comes together in, Absolutely. in the face of tragedy. We we can't we can't say that doesn't happen. There's always some light in the darkness. 
there is and it is always darkest before the dawn and things mm. get bad and then you know we ha- we can return to normality yeah. but this month we're featuring a reddit post um that went up at this uh, actually the for the end of july yeah so last month but let's pretend the Mashout King is the Reddit user, mm. and it's a very simple post. It's a picture of, unfortunately, some flooded cars in Halifax. All it says is, my cake was lost to the flood. And the body is, again, very simple. It was my 30th birthday yesterday, and from leaving my parents' place with my cake, my girlfriend <laughs> and I got stuck in the flood. As you can see, oh. we had to abandon it, and I left <laughs> my cake on the dash. Oh, so, in man. short, this is a, tragi- uh, a tragic post of somebody's 30th birthday cake abandoned on a dash after the car got caught in Oh, money. man. Well, you know and where as his... usual, Reddit went wild. Yeah. Oh, of course. You know where his priorities are. Hurls Vogue said, so you're saying there's free cake sitting on the highway if anyone's willing <laughs> to swim for it. Uh, someone said, I got a boat. And then someone said, who needs a boat? I got some jean short cutoffs. Let's do this. That's probably my friend Acton. He used to love wearing jean short cutoffs and he would definitely swim out for a cake. Jones. Sorry, buddy. Um, and someone said, I got my floaties and some plastic forks. Let's do this. And then the funny one I liked was, I'd be too distracted by your stupid, sexy thighs. <laughs> like the, the directions they go with this, like like where it begins and where it ends. Did you see any, any funny comments you saw? Well, there's actually a really simple one and it was right under the... Um... The, the thread there that you're mentioning this is from darkling 414 mm. it simply says alec cannot relate to this but i can because <laughs> i'm deep into them welcome to your 30s mm, i saw that one i saw that one no i'm not not in my 30s yet but yeah you're, you're a little deeper in there than i am. oh yeah i'm barreling toward 40 here my friend <laughs> and uh, <laughs> on that same little sub thread i don't know what you call it on reddit a sub thread um sensitive ad 5305 said this one day out of 365 and i agree yeah um lots of people wishing the the op well well for their 30s somebody asked if it was still there a few days later but <laughs> but 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 hope wasn't lost Hope was not lost because two days later, Mashout or the Mashout King once again posted a hmm. photo of a kind of ravaged but edible, maybe barely edible oh, cake sat in the footwell saying, the cake has been recovered. We went to look at the car and it's completely wrote off. However, the cake looks intact. Wow. If that cake can hold together after this. We as Nova Scotians can. That's, and Reddit wow. just flowed after that. Well, everyone's just saying, is it edible? Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Well, I'm sure he's thinking about not eating it. But honestly, if that was me and that cake made it through what it made it through, it's probably a DQ ice cream cake, maybe. I would give it a bite because I think it's a good luck thing. You know, like it made it through the storm. The, the cars rode off, but the cake, the cake is still going. Got to be some good luck cake. I'd probably take a big honk and bite out of that thing. Whatever it does uh, to me, me, it does too. to me. I mean, the cake will do something to me, whether it's brand new or in that state. But I might as well try it and see if it uh, brings me any good luck. Well, remember, you can eat anything. You can eat death cat mushrooms. You're not going to live to tell anyone you did. But people always say, well, you can't eat that. You can't eat that. You can eat anything <laughs> you like. Oh, geez. I could eat anything. this paper. There's people out there, party tricks. They eat forks and cars and things. It just, anyway, um, to come back to Reddit here, there was a pretty funny comment on this from t- Toss Away 1024. Uh, Insurance normally covers vehicle contents as well. So enjoy your second birthday cake. <laughs> perfect i'm I, honestly the, the funniest comments i'm finding are the ones that just say oh that sucks well happy birthday but uh but happy birthday to this guy i, I you know i feel i feel for him um i'm really glad he got his cake back i hope he took a bite as i would 
Um, oh, look, we got some insurance experts in here too. That's that's great. Uh, someone said a part of our heritage, and someone said to auction it off. I'm sure someone would buy this piece of history from Halifax. And that concludes Reddit Roundup. And we are here in the Matter of Fact studio. We have our special guest who has just arrived, uh, Dr. Jeff Donaldson, who also happens to be my uncle. We're, we're thrilled to have him. Uh, a little bit of a background. Jeff is a veteran, entrepreneur, researcher, and fellow podcaster. Jeff holds a PhD in public policy from Carleton University, as well as a master's degree in disaster and emergency management from Royal Roads University. Uh, he is the principal researcher for Preparedness Labs Incorporated, an associate faculty at Royal Roads University and host of Inside My Canoe Head, uh, another podcast that he's been operating for the past several years, uh, coming up on their 200th episode. Um, wow. This is a social media brand dedicated to free emergency preparedness education. He's also a founding member of the International Social Capital Association, a group of researchers across the globe focused on disaster resilience and human networks, and is also a member of the International Association of Emergency Managers. Professionally, he has worked with numerous provincial and municipal emergency management organizations to improve the design and delivery of public sector resident-facing emergency preparedness communications. Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you on with us today. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks for the opportunity. I jumped at the chance to fly down here and uh, be on this very special podcast. Really glad you could join us in person, too. I, like, you know, we mentioned before you came on that our special guest flew from out of province, and I think probably the first guest to do that for us. So, Well, hopefully I'm not the last. <laughs> we, I, exactly. And we're meeting the whole family. Like, So we already have the legend. We've, we've never brought him in on the podcast, but Todd Cranston, uh, HRM's yeah. newest and best accidental Uber driver. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Used to, used to spend his evenings on the couch, now spends his evenings running people to and from NSLC. Uh, for, for, um, NSLC himself, running himself back and forth. Or we're we're meeting everyone here, so pleasure to have you on, Jeff. Oh, it's, it's fantastic to be here. Thank you. I'm sure we'll just get into a multitude of things with your expertise, but you know, one of your biggest things is emergency preparedness and disaster management and how to be ready for the next thing that we don't know is coming. Um, so as a, we have some discussion topics we'll kind of work around. As a starting out, just how prepared is the average person for disaster? You know, we all think we are. We say, oh, yeah, we'll handle that. We'll be fine. Oh, that comes. I got it. I got it, honey. But what's what's your experience? What's the truth behind that? Well, traditionally, um, people aren't. But that's the simplistic answer. When we look at how we've traditionally measured this before, the government puts out very important information. They tell you to be informed, have an emergency kit, have a plan. So what we do is we just survey people and ask them, are you doing these things? And that gives us an idea of how many people are following the advice. So if you measure preparedness that way, the answer is no. Because uh, we don't even meet uh, a plurality. We don't even meet 50% of the population doing six out of the 10 top things we want them to do. Research, though, tells us it's more about outcomes because it's often how you define preparedness. Preparedness isn't a bag by your front door. Preparedness is a way of life and how you look at those exogenous shocks that are beyond your control. Things that can influence how you and your family live your normal lives. And so what we like to do on the research side of things is we look at outcomes. We look at groups of people, and you can just take your recent fires and floods that you've had here in Nova Scotia, and you take a group of people from the same neighborhood. You look at them two years later, some of them are going to have a different set of outcomes. Some are going to be more successful. So what we as research like to do is, instead of surveying what they had in their house before it was time to go, what did they do throughout the entire response and recovery period, and look at what 
the positive, the best outcomes did best, and then take that information, turn it around and bring it back. And like you said, to inform our resident facing public sector preparedness communications off things we know that this group did and they were successful. It makes total sense and, and it turns a lot of the way that we think on our, on our head. And when it comes to what is preparedness, like when the, the fires came a couple of months ago, my wife and I weren't prepared, but we got the fires within about two kilometers of our house. So we, we didn't have a, um, an evacuation order, but my uh, dog, of all things, has quite severe bronchitis. And my wife has what all the family thinks is undiagnosed asthma. Uh, so we figured we'll, we'll go up to her parents. They're only an hour away. We'll just get out. So if, if we need to, uh, or we get that evacuation order, we're, we're ahead of the game. Well, we had nothing. So we had to pack the bags. Uh, I then had to run around with my camera and film inside every box and drawer and closet in case there was an insurance claim that was required. But we didn't really have any authority advice. So the, the one question for you next, Jeff, or the next question is, if there is just one thing today that people can do for next time, because I'm not convinced it's got, there's not going to be a next time. I think it's, it's not if, it's when. For next time, what is one thing people can do today after this podcast to be better prepared? If you're looking for a singular answer, I'll say, uh, look at your insurance policy. And that is not the answer most people expect. But if you're a homeowner or a renter, if you don't have an insurance policy, uh, you need to have one. It, we have to stop talking about insurance as an expense and look at it as an investment because most people are not familiar with their insurance. They buy a house, they get the minimum acceptable fire insurance, they shop it around at a broker, they get the least possible price they can and off they go. But nobody actually knows the steps that are involved when you have a great loss, right? So those folks in Tantalan that lost their homes are now understanding the limitations and the extent of their insurance policy, right? So right now, we, the problem we face is the majority of our, pretty much all of our construction crews right now are, rebuild, are building homes. There are no spare capacity. So in a good day, you're looking at a minimum of two years to have your house rebuilt. Wow, two years, gosh. Yeah, and that's on a good day. Okay. Okay, so what are you going to do? When you already have a very shrunk rental market in Nova Scotia, like we do around Canada, you now just threw 150 more families on the very same market. So now when you constrain that, basic economics tells us that pushes the price up, right? Because there's no extra supply for those 150 families right. that are on. While you usually lose a house, you're going to have to pay your mortgage for that two years while your house is being rebuilt. Now, your insurance company will cover a secondary residence, the cost of it. Is that up front or is it recoverable? Does it cover what the current market rate is in uh, Halifax? Or are you actually going to be starting to lose money on the money that your insurance company covers for the next two years? So people are not aware of the limitations of their insurance policy. And it's the greatest risk transfer we have because that's what we do. We take a lot of this risk that we either can't understand or can't really totally mitigate. And we buy an insurance policy to cover well, we all do it. You do it with your car insurance, you do it with life insurance, yeah. you do it with disability insurance. But how many people truly intimately know exactly the processes involved in their insurance and what happens step-by-step step when I have a loss? So if you're going to do nothing else, call up your insurance broker and have them walk you through, what am I going to be paid in this month of August in Halifax, Nova Scotia for replacement and was covered? This is so true, and this is this is a fascinating answer. It wasn't the one I expected yeah. you to give. I do not know anybody who has had a major loss and not themselves been in a 
in near financial ruin. Yeah. And I can even look at that on a, on a micro scale. A couple of years ago, I had a um, got rear-ended on the highway and I have good car insurance and it provided me with, with some stuff. But at the end of the day, I still had to put my hand in my pocket for probably $1,500 to cover things that the insurance did. I'm not talking about the, um, the deductible. I'm talking about just general expenses to yeah. keep me on the road while my car was out for three weeks being repaired. And one thing you hear people say a lot, I know people who drive like idiots and say, oh, well, I, the insurance will cover it. Oh, I'm insured. <laughs> <laughs> or people do dumb things around their home. Yeah, this is true. Welcome to HRM, I suppose. People yeah. do dumb things with their houses or they it's do just sloppy not here. things with... <laughs> No, the people do sloppy things with their homes and they say, oh, it's okay, the insurance will cover it. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know we're not bringing you on here as an insurance expert, but you know, when your house sadly burns to the ground or, or your house floods, even with good insurance, you are likely going to be at a significant loss still yeah, yeah, absolutely. over and above proceeds uh, of insurance. Very few people are made whole. And if you're looking for a great, uh, a, a great film, uh, I'm going to suggest this. Uh, there's a film called TheGlassHouseStanding.org. Um, and it's, it's by a uh, producer and a director is a friend of mine. I've been on his podcast. He's been on my podcast, um, George Siegel, and he's out of Tampa, Florida. And he went through a number of disasters in the Southern U S and interviewed people immediately after. And it's about the last house standing is about, um, a house that was built on the beach and he didn't build it to building code. Cause we know that building code is the minimal acceptable standard for a home. It's not something to celebrate. Right. So he built 45 meter pylons down into the sand. He built it out of steel and glass and solid. And the entire town around him was wiped flat by the hurricane and his house was perfectly fine to occupy. And so it's called the last wow. house standing, but it goes through the losses you're speaking of. The people who are not made financially whole, the people who have extended losses years in, we have issues with uh, predatory construction companies that can come in, predatory mm -hmm. individuals that can say, hey, listen, give me a $10,000 deposit. We know in some situations, I don't know if it happened in Nova Scotia, but people were going around charging $5,000 to put a tarp on your roof in the middle of a rainstorm. You're kidding. Wow. You don't have a tarp. Yeah. Your, cr your car's crushed by a tree. Buddy's there with a tarp. What do you do? You pay him $5,000 and he walks away. So yeah. this is crazy stuff. It, uh, it, yeah. It's it's understanding that. And so if, if you own a home, it's $3.99 US if you want to drop that kind of money to watch that film. If not, there's a link on his website to watch it for free. Yeah. It's like an hour and five minutes, but it, it's something every homeowner should watch and it'll widen your eyes to the risk that you unknowingly face by simply choosing to own a home. Alex, let's get some popcorn. Oh yeah, when the uh, I'd like to watch it. And when when the wildfires went down, I remember there was a lot of people on Facebook who were affected by it, that were making posts trying, looking for insurance direction because they had no idea where to go. Um, you know, my fiance's uh, mother is an insurance guru, and she had people reaching out to her left, right, and center because there was a lot of insurance companies or people who claimed they were insurance people to try and giving out these di this different advice yeah. uh, to people, and it was just it was it was brutal. So. Um, I'm glad you said that answer because I couldn't tell you right now. And I just bought a home two months ago. I couldn't tell you what my policy says. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't have no idea. Jenna handled that. And well, I don't even know what she knows. Like, no, like no, no disrespect to your uh, family members in the, in the insurance world, Alec, but I've always found it funny when people say, oh, my insurance company is working with me to resolve XXX. And I always say, well, no, no, your insurance company is working against you. Your insurance company is, is probably trying to deny your claim because yeah. that's how the insurers 
I'm sure ultimately make money. Um, you know, it's a tough one. That yeah. was great information, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah. So that's one thing we can all kind of do to prepare is to look into our insurance policies and see that. But there's definitely some resources out there that are kind of available to us now to grab and use. And they might be physical, it might be mentally pit people. So what would you say as a global community, because every community might have a different thing they can reach for it, but as a, as a whole, what's our biggest asset in emergency preparedness? Uh, it's your community. And, and all of my personal research, and, and I did my PhD dissertation on the role of community and culture and connectedness in disaster response. So we've all heard of the traditional first responders. That's your police, fire, EMS, show yeah. up, whatever. Yeah. But when you look at the ratio in Halifax, it's probably about 55, 5,600 to one the ratio of first responders to residents. So the actual first responders are your neighbors. They're your community members. They're the people around you. Right. Those are the people who will pull you out of a building when it's burning. They're the people who will dig through the rubble to try to get you out in the immediate aftermath of something. They're the people who will provide you information. And the, and the theoretical name for it is social capital. And this is the social capital organization that, right. uh, that we helped found international researchers. And we look in the power of community and connectedness. So I always say to people, if you're going to do one thing, meet your neighbor. They're the, literally the most important asset you have. Now, here in Halifax and everywhere else, you have fantastic people. And I know many of them in this city that work in the emergency management field. And there's some great information on the city uh, HRM's Emergency plan is on their website, right. their contacts, Public Safety Canada, Emergency Management, Nova Scotia. They all have great information to give you guidance on how to take those first steps to become more prepared. But really your best asset that you have is that social community network connection. So, you know, nowadays we're more of an individualistic society than we were collective when I was younger. You know, we went out street lights and all those other drink from the garden hose and those stories that you hear. But the, we knew our neighbors, 10 houses up, 10 houses down. We knew the neighbors. We knew them by their first name, their last name. We knew everything about them. You talk with them. Right. Because literally, if you think in times of an emergency, if something happens and you have the radio is telling you information, I don't know how big the city of Halifax is now. What are you, are you at a half a million people in yet? around that. Like 600, 600,000. So right, I, yeah. I live in the city of Ottawa. There's a million people. We have a radio station giving emergency advice to a million people. We have 6,500 kilometers of roadways in our city. It's massively yeah. laid out. Wow. That information is has to be vague because it's coming out to a grand. Right. So the city of Halifax is talking to 600,000 people all at one time. They're not talking to the North End. They're not talking to the South End. They're not talking to Clayton Park, Bedford, Spryfield, all yeah. these different areas. You have sources of information all around you. What did you hear? What did I hear? It's right. Facebook groups. Right. It's what do, you've got a friend in the North End. Well, I had now have access to the North End information because I have you as a friend. Right. And if you start picturing that out as a mesh network of connections, you start to see that you actually have access to a plethora of information and people out there that is actually part of your social network. And that's your greatest asset um, beyond anything that you could yeah. purchase in a hardware store. <laughs> Flashlight. Well, uh, we can go down the flashlight rabbit hole if you want to. I mean, I don't know anybody who had a better outcome out of a disaster because they owned a flashlight. Oh, the flash. I remember one time I got, I won't say who, someone kind of cussed me out for not having, I, I, we moved to our apartment or whatever and the power, you know, the power went out or something and I didn't have a flashlight and I got kind of cussed out by some person about it. And I was like, what a joke. Like, what was that flashlight going to do better for me in, in the end? I turned my phone on. Well, yeah, boom, that's there true. it is. There's my flashlight. Right? Don't like, buy a flashlight. You bought one when you bought yourself. <laughs> phone. I exactly. mean, th th this is the point of 
the vague generalistic information that's out there, it's very helpful, but it's vague by its very nature because they're speaking, right? When Public Safety Canada talks to 38 million Canadians, they, it's not specific, yeah. right? We're not the, we're not we all in it the wind same. up radio for Q104. <laughs> yes, yes, but yeah. Q104 talks to the city and if you're in Bedford flooded and I'm at the top of Clayton Park high and dry, we don't need the same information. And right. we're not getting yeah, it at Q104, sense. right? So yeah. that's part of understanding where your sources of information are. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, we're going to ask you to rub the crystal ball here a bit, and I'm not sure whether this is opinion or expertise, Jeff. It probably say straddles both. Um, but as an exposed province with everything that's happening geopolitically with, with climate change, what kind of threats do you think, and we'll emphasis on the think, no one's going to drag this up on CBC in five years and hold it against you. Um, but, but do you think there is any kind of man-made or natural disaster that could become more commonplace? I, I think as the earth warms and climate change is real, I, I think though we we have a separation between what's actually happening due to climate change and a bunch of climate alarmists. So there is a difference there. Uh, we've known that uh, hurricanes are going to continue to hit Nova Scotia. They're not going away. Uh, you're going to continue to have wildfires and floods. I think the one part of preparedness, and this is why we look at preparedness slightly greater, I think we don't include economic um, when you look at a family, you losing the primary source of income can be just as impactful as losing your house to a wildfire. We don't talk about that in preparedness. So mm. with the 2020s being as disruptive, politically correct, as we shall say, yeah. economic is probably the greatest strife that's going to come to the larger population. We're not going to see any new things like you're not on an earthquake fault. I grew up here in Nova Scotia, I don't think. Yeah. I live on an earthquake fault in uh, in Ottawa. We've had earthquakes there. We have tornadoes that now literally touch down within city limits about every four to six weeks now. So certain things are becoming more frequent, but it's whether we learn. And I think that's the biggest question, right? So when you look at people who have seen but didn't have a loss between the wildfire and the floods that you recently had, how many of those people have took stock of what happened to their fellow HRM folks and made plant changes in their own lives? Or did they just go past that one, miss that one, off I go and I'm carrying on my regular life? Right. How many people have taken that experience mm -hmm. of others that they've seen live streamed and some of the horrible loss that happened and looked around their house, right? Simple things like firesmart.ca will tell you there shouldn't be anything combustible within 10 meters of your house. No tree, no box, nothing. How many people looked at that wildfire and go, I'm going to go clear what they refer to as a defensible area around my home? How many right. people did that? I'm thinking the number's going to approach zero. Yeah. I've got two cars within 10 feet of my door because I don't have a garage with 45 liters of gasoline in them. Yeah. I, I'm more concerned about the people who are have these big wooden sheds that store gasoline for the lawnmower and it's stuffed up against the side of their vinyl <laughs> right. cladded, vinyl yeah. siding cladded home. And then they wonder why when a spark flies, all of a sudden their home becomes an inferno. Yeah. I mean, let's be frank. We, we know how to build homes that are fireproof. Yeah. We just choose not to, right? We can build them out of concrete steel okay. and glass, but we choose to build them with wood and vinyl siding exteriors. Right. Fair enough. But they burn when you do that. So it's not like, like when we re rebuild this Tantalan neighborhood, 
it'll be very interesting to see whether it's rebuilt the way Fort McMurray was done from the 2016 fires. Right. Are you going to build back the home in the very same condition it was in before out of the very same materials that caused it to burn? Or are you going to rebuild the community in a way that it won't burn again? And, and right. the answer is in Fort McMurray, they built it back exactly the way it was. Yeah. Exactly to the construction. That's what the insurance industry insisted. And so here we are with a city in Northern Alberta that is now primed to go up again. Yeah. Because so, they built the same way. Just like you're saying about like, you know, learning from, not, not mistakes, but learning from what happened or, or, or we just reset and go back to what we were doing. And I, I will say, I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, when for both the fires and the flood, zero effect on my home. And I kind of just thought, ooh, okay. I mean, I, for the flood, I looked around for any potential. All I did was look and see, oh, is there a spot in my house that could get in? That's all I did. I was like, oh, uh, any, any wet spots? No, okay, I guess we're good. And then uh, for the fire, I was just like, oh, well, we're not on a, you know, there's no trees in our backyard. We're not, but you never know. It could jump around and, and get there. And I'll throw a shout out to the film again. That's, uh, he throws uh, one thing on there. There's a $400 product you can get. It's a spray gel. And you just spray it on the side of your house and it prevents the sparks from lighting your house okay. on fire. It's meant at the time when you have a wildfire approaching. Right. But for $400, you can spray it over the side. 400 American, obviously. You mm -hmm. can spray it over the side of your house and it'll largely prevent your house from burning. And so you do that when the fire's approaching? Yeah, yeah. Or is Absolutely. it like an annual... It's, it's, like it's, it's manual. Okay. It, it attaches to your garden. Like you wouldn't and, just go do it. No, it, yeah, no, no. It's, it's, but that's how little of an expense it is to take a mitigating step to be prepared to defend your home versus a potential up to a million dollar whatever loss or much your home is worth and everything that's in it and the disruption that follows to yeah. your entire and then family your costs for everything after that you're eating out you're renting you're doing this yeah. and that and the other thing yeah and you're in your car all the time yeah so yeah, yeah. i kind of alluded to it with the we, we talked with the flashlight we jumped into that and there's some other items as well that everyone thinks you absolutely must have and if you're not then you are not prepared you're not ready to go um what are some common disaster preparedness uh you know evacuation strategies that are widely adopted by the average person probably me uh, and that are actually counterproductive and not an efficient use of time or resources and the one uh, i'll throw this in right now because this is very very important is to see if you know what's going on right now in Yellowknife uh, northwest territories they're in the practice of evacuating the entire city twenty thousand people due to a wildfire um, people wait to be told to go. And I'll be blunt about that. That's if everybody waits until you're told on an evacuation order to leave, you're now putting the entire population on the roads at all at the same time. Roads that were never intended to be built uh, for evacuation routes. And we don't put emergency managers and city planners together when we build cities and when we build neighborhoods, right? We want to hide the neighborhoods off the arterial road and there's only one or two accesses and there are all these nice little bends so everybody get these views. But if you look at your neighborhood you live in right now and everybody ran out of their house and jumped in their car, how congested would that get and how fast would that congestion happen? Yeah. People are told, wait for advice to go. And, and I think that's a great thing. But when somebody says we're thinking about evacuating, it's a really good time to take a day trip with your family. Yeah. To, like you said, or James, you said, run around and take pictures of things or gather the things you would want to go in times of peace and calm when you're, it's just a warning that you may have to evacuate and decide today we're going to take a day trip. We're just going to go for a little road trip to in the opposite direction of whatever the threat is. Yeah. 
don't wait for the mandatory evacuation because when that happens, you are now log jam on the road with everybody else. And then how many people are prepared to spend the next 16 hours in their car? I feel better now because when the uh, the far, farmer's dairy lane fire in Bedford happened, it got within two kilometers of our house. I was on the street with some neighbors um, and there's a firefighter up the street and advice from him was, you know, go, go if you can. Yeah. They didn't think he was going to jump Highway 102, but when it got there, we would have had an evacuation order. So yeah. we did exactly that. Yeah. We called my aunt, uncle-in-law in Dartmouth um, and we went around there. We had dinner great evening with them we actually drove back about 10 p.m but when we were sat there we found ourselves apologizing and we were apologizing to them saying look we're really sorry we did we came to you without an evacuation order we thought we were inconveniencing them we said look we we were told we're next so we figured we'd get on the roads while we still could and up until two minutes ago when you said that i always felt that maybe we've been a little keen a little premature no um so that was the right thing to do absolutely that's interesting that absolutely and and if if Nobody takes anything else away from this when you when you think about evacuations. Um, have your uh, destination predetermined, like you have a relative. I have a family relative lives or a friend lives 150 kilometers from me, so that's far enough apart that we won't likely be affected by the same thing. Mm-hmm. And we have a wide open reciprocal agreement. My basement is his, and his basement is mine. Anytime, right? No apologies necessary. So have that place to go. For storage or disasters? I've used it for both, Frank, <laughs> but that's a different podcast. Uh, careful all what you together, say. It's my right? basement, your basement. All right. <laughs> my basement, I store it. Two podcast yeah. studios. But right. that's that's the, the point is, is having a place to go because if you had that loss, you would rather not be in a Motel 6 competing yeah. on their Wi-Fi with takeout food, trying to sort your life out. You'd rather be in a family or friend's basement on secure Wi-Fi with a comfy couch, maybe a cold brew, a little bit of relaxing, a place that you yeah. know you can stay without pressure until you can sort the basics out. Having a destination is key. Yeah, and it, it keeps you like, it keeps you level and ground. One of the, like I, I listen to Jeff's podcast uh, clips all the time. And one of the things that you, you hone in on is in these times of stress, if you have your plan, then you can calmly execute, do the plan. Everyone else is freaking out yeah. and losing Got their the minds. And you're like, okay, no, we ha- we know what we're doing. Like, boom, ex- execute the plan, let's go. Because one of my biggest pet peeves in, in any scenario, any scenario where things go a little south or things start to get a little wonky, is people start freaking out and like, oh my God, this is the worst. And I'm not, I'm not talking about floods or wildfires, I'm talking about even minor, minor issues. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, no, no, like, stay calm. Like, that's the only way we're gonna get through this. So by doing that and you just, I'd way rather be in a scenario where I know my plan far in advance. And if something goes down, then I'm like, okay, press the button. Here we go. Yeah. And you just go and everybody in the family knows exactly what their responsibilities are. I mean, you know, it can get complicated if you have kids in school and you have two working parents, who's getting the kids? Right. Are you going to try to figure that out over social media when you have to go evacuate the kids? Or is that a pre-assigned role? Right. for one of the parents. So you don't even have to talk. You know parent A is moving to get the children right now. Right. Your responsibility is to go do something else. And you've worked this out. And Because if the cell lines go down and you can't communicate and you have a preparedness plan that's ready to go, and these things don't cost any money. They're just sitting around the coffee table on a Sunday and figuring this out. Yeah. Everybody's executing their role and you are tenfold ahead of your neighbors who are running around trying to pull out a cell phone, hold it up to the air, find a radio yeah. station, try to find what's going on, and you're executing the task. Holding their flashlight. Holding the flashlight. Yeah, up to the sky with the bat symbol, <laughs> oh, looking for some rescue, no. right? 
one of the very specific but useful things we did with our neighbors, we got dogs either side of us and across the street. We all got together and said, look, if there's ever an evacuation order and we're not home, you are welcome to break our windows and our back doors or our front doors to get our animals. Yeah. So we now know that if my next door neighbors here aren't home and we need to go, they have Noah, who's their, their beautiful uh, beautiful Labrador. We would hack something on the house in in order to get in to get Noah out with us. And they would know they can't return home, but somebody has Noah. And we have our dog, Tucker. Um, and we know here now that if we were, there was an evacuation order and we couldn't get home in, in 60 minutes or whatever time they give, that uh, one of the neighbors would break in and get Tucker. We're not going to be angry that our back door has no glass. So... Um, it's odd that the, the plans you make, one that we all made on our street was dogs. What do we do with our dogs? But that conversation you had is what my entire body of research is about. You sat down and had a conversation about preparedness and things that you would work with your neighbors. You built a sense of community and now you're in a oneness. You're in this thing together. You really are. Mm -hmm. And and that is leaps and bounds beyond many other people. So you just, you, you executed without knowing it's the number one thing we recommend people right. to do. And you yeah. did it. Let's pivot here quickly and uh, talk about the almighty federal government above us here um, and, and our local <laughs> governments. Now, we, we put our trust in them, and, and you, I'm sure, have done thousands of hours of research into this. <laughs> I, I do not know how to mobilize 15,000 firefighters uh, across uh, Atlantic Canada. That's, a, I don't know, however many we have in order to put out fires. Um, but I trust that they do. How prepared typically are local municipalities and our federal government? Uh, and what do you think you're doing better? Uh, they're actually very well prepared. And I'll jump in the middle because the number one level of government in preparedness in Canada is provincial. Um, the federal government is not, really? okay. it's not a parent-child relationship in, in emergency management. The provinces are the best funded, best trained, and, and well-organized uh, machine you have. So the response to the fires and the floods here that happened in Nova Scotia, and like you said, mustering up all of the firefighters together, uh, the government does an exceptional job at the provincial level for this. Now, municipalities, it's a function of taxes, right? To build an emergency management office in the city of Halifax costs money. East Hance can't do that, right? So it's, it's, it's going to vary at the local level all across the province based upon your task and resource base. The city of Halifax obviously can. Right. Uh, City of Ottawa has, you know, 14 or 15 full-time employees that run the Office of Emergency Management. They can fund that. The sit next city over, they don't have anybody. Everybody's part-time. So at the provincial government, they do an exceptional job. The federal government is basically there for additional resources that don't exist. Like we see right now in real time as we're recording this, the Royal Canadian Air Force is evacuating people out of Yellowknife. That's a resource the provincial government doesn't have. They get that resource right. from the federal government. So they're very good at having specific sets of resources. Where the population errs is what I call the expectation gap. The expectation that the average citizen has of the capacity and capability of the public sector to respond to an emergency is way over their actual capability. What you think the province should be doing for you right now far exceeds what they actually can do for you. And when you understand that, you create something we refer to as the preparedness gap. So that's things that need to be done following an event. The province is going to do what it can. What is missing is now your responsibility. So it's the individual doesn't accept personal responsibility for their outcomes in response to a disaster because they have an outsized 
belief in the role and responsibility of the public sector. Now they're experts. They know what they're doing. I have every nothing but accolades for them, but they are exceptionally limited in the tools and the numbers that they have. So people have this, exp you see them all the time, you know, the power's out for four days and they're screaming like it's Armageddon mm. on TV and the news and oh, yeah. my life is over because <laughs> the power's out for four days. And I would answer, well, what was your plan for the power outage? Oh, you didn't have a plan. You thought it was- I had one, one power bank that gives me two I, phone charges. Exactly. Yeah. Or I had, I have a freezer full of $700 of meat, but I have no way of powering that freezer when it goes out. And it's, you know, Nova Scotia Hydro's responsibility to get my lineup way up in rural somewhere yeah, yeah. within 24 hours. Well, if you want that capacity level, they can do it, but you got to like triple your taxes. And so the answer to that is zero. So yeah, it's an expectation gap people have between what they can and cannot do. I find it turns okay. into the blame game too a lot yeah. when that goes down. Like it does. Immediate, rather than looking for the solution and, and you know, how you're going to handle it, it's Oh, Nova Scotia Power or whoever, the government's fault, somebody, they're not, they got to take care of this, this yeah. is so slow. And yeah. It's like, okay, what? that's your opinion. Whatever that is, that is. But you actually, you have a situation you have to attack right now. What's something that we, you know, as individual families and households should prioritize moving forward with regards to being prepared for the next thing, whatever it may be? Like, what should be our number one? I know you said we could go do and, you know, look at our insurance policies today, but overall, just what should we be prioritizing? I think looking at it through a scenario lens is probably the easiest for individuals and, and households because if you start saying, okay, I need a hurricane preparedness plan, I need a power loss preparedness plan, I need right. a flood preparedness plan, you know, we can go down that road and it becomes just excessively difficult for people to execute and they don't. Disaster impact reduction is, I need to be ready for the power outage. It doesn't matter why the power's out. So when we think about, there's three scenarios and if you there's probably 20 things that could happen to you in Halifax that could cause a disruption right. in your life, right? So if you think of it across the spectrum, we like to plan, and this is something that I take from my army days, um, you plan for the most likely and you plan for the most dangerous. And by planning for the two ends of the spectrum, you're likely going to catch everything else that's in the middle. Right. So from an emergency perspective, the most likely is a power outage. Have your family emergency plan ready to go for a power outage that lasts three or four days. That's the most likely event that will occur. Flooding could have knocked it out. Wildfire down a transmission line could knock it out, whatever. Yeah. The most dangerous is always evacuation. It is the most impactful and the most dangerous thing for a family to go through right. because of the potential outcomes of it. So you need an evacuation plan. And, and like James said, it's about knowing where you're going, knowing what you want to take, and knowing what everybody's roles and responsibilities are in that plan. Right. So if you have an evacuation plan and you have a power loss plan, you're likely going to cover everything because you're either going to shelter in your house with your, with your family and your furry pets and wait it out with your power loss plan, or you're going to execute your evacuation plan and you're going to have to leave your residence. The number one plan that you really need to have other than your standard emergency plans is when I'm fired tomorrow, what am I going to pivot to? How am I going to earn an income? You have responsibilities, financial, you have family members. This is a huge part of preparedness. What's worse, your house burning down or losing your job? What about the folks in the wildfire that we don't talk about whose houses didn't burn, but their place of business did? Right. So the wildfire took out their income. Right. Now, they, now they have no possibility to earn money right now. What is their plan? Right. A lot of people at the beginning of the pandemic didn't know what to do. They sat back and they waited for the world to right itself. And now yeah. three years later, some of that's still not 
upright the way it was before. Some yeah. people had a plan and said, this, is, this doesn't look right. I'm pivoting left. I'm going to go do this. They executed that plan. They had a small period of hurt. They had a few dollars set aside for that, and they went. Yeah. So really, I mean, you're most likely you're most dangerous for emergency, but you got to have that plan for when you walk in and you're met by HR in the lobby and your, <laughs> your desk is already cleared out. And <laughs> Here's your box. Well, it pretty much, and it happens. Yeah. It, it happens to people regularly it, for doing great work because companies resize. And it's yeah. just as much as preparedness as a flashlight. Yeah. I had never before considered how an economic loss to a breadwinner could almost trump the impact of of a natural disaster causing you to lose your property. And um, I think that's the big takeaway here actually is, and even your job, how your job goes beyond things people think about, which is probably weather events. Preparedness is from a research community is it's, it's a whole of life. It's a theoretical lens through which we examine the world. And so you think about being prepared for an exogenous shock is, is an old stoic philosophy. It's just being ready to deal with events that are beyond your control, but they impact your life. Are you going to run around with your hair on fire or are you going to choose to execute a plan that you created? Those are two, bin- mm-hmm. it's a binary choice. And so- and it's a choice. Some yeah. people choose to do nothing. It's the e- that's the easiest thing, isn't the it? The easiest thing is to be apathetic, avoidance, whatever you want to call it, and people choose not to. And then that's when you see the blame game with the government. Yeah. The government support program for me is not big enough. Well, is it augmenting your personal preparedness plan or is it your preparedness plan? I call them the blissfully unaware, the people that run around life just blissfully unaware of the risks that they're assuming by choosing to live where they live and work where they work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Jeff Donaldson, fascinating. And we're pleased you came on. This was this was amazing. And I, I learned a ton today. Going forward to like, if you want to hear more on emergency preparedness, like Jeff said, his book, um, but also Preparedness Labs Incorporated. Um, can you tell us a bit about Preparedness Labs Incorporated just for people? I mentioned it in, the, in your intro, but on what that is, just briefly. So it's a uh, uh, research and education firm into emergency preparedness. So we do provide uh, education to companies and corporate uh, entities that want to provide emergency preparedness education to their employees. We're looking at uh, doing a comparative analysis right now of all 13 provinces and territories and their public sector resident facing emergency preparedness communications Okay, because we're trying to understand from a research perspective, what are the governments telling people to do? Right. Because there's two parts of the conversation. There's there are three parts. There's the, the message, there's the medium, and then what does the guy on the other end do? Yeah. So we're, we're studying it through research and we uh, publish a journal uh, four times a year with the okay. latest uh, latest research that our team puts together. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Well, check that out online. Um, and of course, check out Inside My Canoe Head. We have a, you know, it's nice to have a fellow podcaster yeah, on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, he's a veteran podcaster. He's been doing it longer than us, but we're very happy uh, he was able to take the time to fly in uh, to do this with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for the invite. Thank you. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Matter of Facts podcast. But you can get more of us. You can subscribe on any good podcast provider. You can follow us on Instagram at Matter of Facts Podcast. And for all that great feedback and abuse, you can send it by email to HalifaxPodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find James Collins and I on the internet. Please do get in touch and we look forward to seeing you next time.